welcome to Writing on Wednesdays, a podcast about building a healthy and sustainable writing process from beginning to end, but mostly in the middle. Today we're talking about creative cross-training. I'm Nicole Rokas, an author, speaker, and writing coach in Toronto. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician living in St. Louis. And Sarah, you have some great news to share with us. I do. I signed a book contract last week. Yay! Congratulations. So I, um, I'm now under contract 2021. Uh, got a book to write. Uh, we'll talk some more about this in the update section of the podcast, but I am super, super excited that um, all my hard work came to fruition. I'm so proud of you, Sarah. Very excited about it. Yeah. And the big topic today is creative cross-training. So get your pens ready, pull up a chair, and join us for a weekly Wednesday writing date. So, Nicole, can you tell us what creative cross-training is? Yeah. Um, I coined this term as far as I know. And this concept first came to me over the summer, um, shortly after I finished my book, handed off the manuscript to the publisher. You know, you always kind of hit that wall after you finish a long-term writing project. Um, People talk about, like, postpartum depression (laughs) and, like, post-book manuscript depression And Mm -hmm. that really can happen. Um, Some writers that I know can jump right into a new project or they have multiple long-term writing projects going simultaneously. So they just transition to whatever else they're working on. I've always been the kind of writer who needs a break. I need to just hit pause and recalibrate and get my bearings straight again before starting a new book, usually for at least six months. So in the meantime, um, you know, you don't want to let your creative juices go completely fallow. And it's, it's not good necessarily to spend the six months watching Netflix day and night, <laughs> says the person who just finished the last season of This Is Us. And like, I literally have... <laughs> you and my mom. <laughs> I literally have been like sleep deprived. Um, and I think some of this here is like, at the baseline, we are creative people and we are people who produce things. We make things. We like to make. Like, we are creatives as in we create things. And so even when we aren't creating the written word, there's still room and space to create other right. things. And Sarah, I'm a runner. And so I I mean, for me, I see a clear parallel between my creative life and my running life. And in running, you know, I've trained for marathons in the past. I've done half marathons. You, you can't, no matter how fit you are, it's not healthy to be training at that level all the time. So there are times when you, t- you need to cross-train. Even when you're training for a big race, you're not supposed to run every day of the week. You're supposed to cross-train every other day. Cross-training provides a way to strengthen other muscle groups that might not be worked while running, uh, but also keep keeping your body healthy, limber, flexible, and fit to to hit those hard training days or gear up for that race eventually. Mm-hmm. Or gear up for that mega push towards the end of a, writing a book. Right. So I kind of um, realized that, you know, those seasons after handing in a big project where I don't feel like jumping right back into a writing project, they actually serve a purpose. And um, I, so now I call those seasons creative cross-training. And even now yeah, as I... that's great. As I am doing a bit more writing than I was doing two months ago, you know, I don't necessarily write every day. And yet I can see those 
off days as cross training days. And the question is not just like, okay, how do I relax or whatever? It's what activities can I do to keep uh, to to kind of work those stabilizing writing muscles, not the the prime writing muscles, but the the other things that are going to keep those muscles healthy. I think this is a really important point here because um, as longtime listeners to, to the show know, neither Nicole or I write every day and that's an intentional choice. Some of that is like a lifestyle choice. I literally can't write every day. Um, it would be nearly impossible. Oh, and by the way, Cole and I are both productive writers. <laughs> you know, detail here. Like, you know, it's not like we're uh, saying we, oh, I'm a writer. I haven't written in six months. You know, we're both producing things, creating things. Yeah. Yeah, I think having a name for this is really helpful because it helps us engage these these uh, activities with a bit more intention and see them with purpose. And you're right. I, I just posted a blog post on my blog. It was about a choice I made about two years ago to literally not write every day or write every morning and, and why I made that choice. So, um, yeah, Sarah, I was thinking maybe we could each share you know, three to five things that we do to creative cross train. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at our list and I'm like, oh, we do some of the same things. <laughs> so maybe why don't we start out with the things that are different and then we can jump into the things that are same. Because guys, guess what? Um, I don't treat running as creative cross training because I don't run, uh, <laughs> except after my small child. <laughs> so cool. Why don't, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So one of the activities I engage in as creative cross training is genealogy. And this was actually the activity, I did a lot of genealogy over the summer. And that's when this whole concept dawned on me because I was like, oh, I, this works a lot of the same muscles or related muscle groups as writing does, but it's not writing and it's inspiring me and all that. So um, I love genealogical research. I love doing family history. I love doing local history. It gives me a reason to get back home, to reconnect with my roots. It involves research. It involves black and white and sepia photographs. It involves weird stories. and <laughs> I bet it involves archives. Um, yeah. Well, not true archives, for me at least. It's usually just li- it library. Microfilm? Not so much anymore. I know, I've never done genealogical research. It involves paying Ancestry.com a lot of money to access digitized versions of documents that probably once were on microfiche. Okay. Um but uh, it's intriguing, and it involves research. It involves writing little blurbs in your family tree. Um, I do use Ancestry.com, but I, I then often will go back home when I'm home and, like, look at local libraries, order local cemetery records to kind of fact check some of the things that are on Ancestry.com. And I don't know. It, it That's cool. There's... You find out a lot of things, but you there, you also encounter a lot of gaps of things you don't know and probably never will, which allows your imagination to kind of fill in the gaps and evoke story and, and all of that. I think genealogy is a great form of creative cross-training. Awesome. What about you, Sarah? What's one of your different ones? You know, one of the big ones for me is exploring new music. And I work full-time as a musician. And so I'm always looking for music for my choir, for myself, of like as a solo instrument, um, new, I, I work in a church, new hymns for the congregation. And it's such a creative thing for me. And um, 
a lot of times professional musicians don't listen to as much music as other folks because it's our work. So like, I don't listen to music a lot, like in the background, um, when I'm listening to music, I'm giving it my attention. I can't, I can't usually have music on in the background unless it's like really quiet. Um, and so when I'm engaging with this new music, like that itself is a really creative pursuit. It's kind of like this quest of like, I need to find the thing that's exactly going to suit the voice parts in my choir. And it's, oh, and I'm going to have a solo for so-and-so. And it's, oh, and this this theological thing is going to work just right for this kind of service that I have coming up. And it's, it's a really... It's a really fun, creative quest for me and one of my favorite things about my job. The other interesting thing that I see in terms of cross-training with this music is that I'm also looking at what um, composers do, like living composers who are marketing their music or connecting with their readers, who do a lot of things that this other kind of creative, the writer, does. So I am on different composers' like newsletters. I'll follow them on social media. And for me, it's kind of like, oh, I get to learn from people who are in a different space who write, but who write music, who don't write, you know, words as much, although some of them do both. And I get to learn like how they connect with their listeners, how they connect with the people who love what they make, the people who are, you know, overjoyed that they have a new, new piece to work with. Yeah, Sarah, I, yeah, Sarah, I, wish I could be more of a music person. Um, I feel like if I'm listening to anything, it's either podcasts or an audiobook, which maybe is another form of cross-training. But I I guess I consider podcasts and audiobooks sort of information, and I always crave consuming information, um, whereas music feels more diffuse and like I'm not deriving any... I'm not learning anything from the music, which is... Probably a good thing because, yeah, I actually often feel better after listening to music or having music on in the background for a period of time. Um, I just don't make it as much of a habit. I'm, I'm thinking of the time I listened to about three and a half hours of an opera one afternoon, and I still look back at that as quite an accomplishment to like lay on my bed and listen to three and a half hours of music. You mean like playing music? <laughs> it was a good time. Um, you know, I'm also thinking in terms of music because I, I, um, I play the organ and piano, so I'm using a lot of fine motor skills there. And this is kind of like anti-creative cross-training because it is yeah. one more fine motor skill thing that I have to do. And it limits other kinds of things that I enjoy. Like um, like I like to knit and crochet, but I hardly ever do that because I do so much with my fingers in terms of writing and in terms of playing the piano and the organ. I don't have like that capacity in my hands to, um, to do a lot of other fine motor stuff. And, and so like, it's not so much creative, but like literally the motor movement, um, I have to do other things that are cross training, like gardening. That's a different kind of motor movement for me. Yeah. You're, you're at a higher risk for repetitive strain injury. Oh yeah. This actually, uh, ties into the concept of creative cross training in a whole other sense. Um, because Mm -hmm. Joanna, Joanna Penn wrote a book, The Healthy Writer, and she actually talks about a lot of this, like the increased risk for repetitive strain injury, back issues and all that for people who are creative professionals. And, you know, one of the things that she recommends is like, you know, if you're a right hand dominant, training yourself to use the mouse with your left hand uh, and things like that. Yeah, I'm there. It's just your picture has gone away. Exactly. But I'm still here. That's a whole other kind of cross training. (laughs) Yeah. 
Maybe. We'll put a link to her book in the show notes. It's good. Yeah. And speaking of physical stuff and cross-training, running is actually a form of creative cross-training for me, which is ironic because the whole concept of cross-training, I learned from running and needing to do other kinds of exercise in order to uh, keep myself in working order as a runner. But um, I love running for because it helps me train at that sense of accomplishment and working towards a goal. So much of writing is about intangible accomplishment. It's harder. It's hard to, at the end of the day, feel that you've accomplished something, check writing off of your to-do list, because even if you write for the amount of time you say you're going to, or you write the number of words, or you finish the chapter you said you were going to, there's always more, and you always feel like you could have done a better job Whereas with writing, it's like, as long as I get out there on the road and do my run, like, it feels like I have accomplished something. And it trains them, my kind of endurance muscles, not just physically, but psychologically of like pressing through struggle and um, making things habits and, and all of that. So mm-hmm. that's something that I frequently seek out because um, my regular job my, my full-time job, um, has so few big picture check marks, like completion points. It's like Sunday's always around the corner. I've always got another thing coming. Um, and once you finish Christmas, Easter is coming and, and it's not, it doesn't have that same sense of completion. Um, and I have to be intentional about like marking those points of completion just to give that to myself. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some things here that we have that are really similar or the same. Like, similar, but usually with different particularities. Yeah. So, for example, we both have reading on our list of creative cross-training activities. So how how does that work out for you? What is creative cross-training in terms of reading for you? Well, I see for you, you have reading fiction. I don't really read fiction. I, it's very rare that I will mm, read fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love narrative. You know, I'll read creative nonfiction, like memoirs, true crime, that kind of thing. Whereas I'm not a, really a memoir or a true crime person. Right. But I think probably for both of us, just reading is a form of creative cross-training because we're both interested in seeing how other writers put their material together and how they craft their narrative and the story arc and the organizational structure, all those kinds of things, just or even down to the sentence level, how they put something together. Um, And so we're learning from other writers by reading high quality material. Yeah, even if we're not consciously analyzing the text while we're reading, we are absorbing lessons and insights sort of via osmosis. Yeah. That's actually how I feel about um, with children's fiction. Um, I notice because the children's fiction that I read with my son, um, he's not into chapter books yet. So I'm seeing the story structure in a really compressed form. It's like, you know, 32 pages or whatever. Um, And so you can kind of see structure in a really, really clear way. And so it's just like, you know, and I'm reading these things, you know, dozens of times. And so it's like, oh, I can really get a sense of how this structure works and why it works, you know, because I can notice the details because it's small. It's on a small scale. I like children's and young adult fiction for kind of a different reason. And that's that it helps me reconnect with like my childhood self. And I feel like so much of good writing comes out of that connection. Oh, really? A lot of the things I write about, I can tie connections to 
how I thought as a child or like the things I'm passionate about now were somehow a part of me when I was a child. And going back going back and reading books that either I yeah. read as a child or would have read or whatever, it helps me recover some of that mentality and some of like the simplicity and wonder that I brought to my life back then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's a really important thing to cultivate. Okay. And so we also both have journaling Yeah. on yeah. here. Do you want to kind of explain what you, cause I don't think we journal in the same way. Do you want to explain? Yeah, sure. So I have um just recently gotten back into journaling. Um, like in like the, like I, I used to journal all the time. I have, you know, boxes full of of journals. Um, Me too. Um, They're pretty sad journals too. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't reread them. I don't know that I want to. Uh, a lot of angst. But um, I have started getting back into journaling in that style in the sense of like processing uh, events and feelings. Um, I also keep a a journal that is like a like a sentence a day kind of journal. Um, so it's like a five-year five year journal. And I love doing that. I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. And it's really fun to have and like see memories from last year. I like that a lot. I, is it Gretchen Rubin's five-year journal? I did journal? not. I got a different, a different format, but it's that same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also have just started doing morning pages in the style of the artist uh, Julia, Julia Cameron. What are those? It is when you first are starting your work day. I think for some people it's like first thing in the morning, but I, you know, I'm my first thing in the morning is like little kid stuff. So it's like my first by myself time when I could write. Um, just writing a few pages and whatever it is like literally huh. anything that you want to write about. And so for me, some of it's been like relational things that are going on or here's my plans for the day or um, here's something that I'm not sure how to figure out in like my writing. And just there's no, it's not goal directed. It's not, I need to right. figure out the problem. I'm journaling so that I can figure this out. It's just like, oh, here's whatever I feel like writing about. And I think a lot of the motivation there is priming your brain to just to have permission to create and to kind of get rid of the yeah w- whatever could be yeah the self-censoring the fear the shame wh- whatever the things are that that kind of um shackle us and just saying okay okay brain you have full permission to do whatever whatever creative work is going to go on and and this is it's so not goal-directed that it, it can kind of help help get into that uh that habit or that uh that yeah. mindset for the rest of the workday yeah so what what about you? Um, I also have been a longtime journaler. I have stacks of composition books going all the way back to my childhood, and the, these are not the kind of journals that are ever going to be like published posthumously. And you know, oh, what a gifted writer she was in her journals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of go in fits and starts, especially since you know reaching adulthood of of one. Sometimes my mind is like really into journaling, other times it's not. But what I appreciate about journaling as a form of creative cross-training is the activity of internalizing. I feel like so much of the writing I do is externalizing, whether it's blog posting or social media posts or working on a book that's going to be out in the world. I often don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of time to or energy like my brain is increasingly focused on that kind of writing whereas when I think back on the journaling that I've I've done over the years particularly you know in the years like before like social media was a thing you know that was a really valuable Mm -hmm. activity just to help 
me kind of sort out my own thoughts and connect and 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 all of that without even the the thought of an audience uh, reading it. I think this goes back to that self-censoring thing where not just with the morning pages, but with journaling in general, for the most part, we aren't saying, oh, I'm going to journal so I can go back and then mine my journal for an essay. And I, I realize that, you know, yeah. for people writing memoirs, that's a little bit different. But by and large, at least in my experience of journaling, I am not going to go back and read what it is. Um, oh, interesting. I often do. Oh, really? I want to feel that impermanence so that I don't feel like I have to think about my sentence structure and how is this going to look. And like that self-consciousness, I, I want actually to feel that this is going to go away, even though it isn't going away because it's in a notebook. Well, I think that we probably journal about different things. A lot of the times I journal about goals that I set strategies. Mm, okay. I write down quotes that are meaningful to me. And oh, yeah, that is I almost never do. Sometimes that. I do end up using those quotes later, or I like to refer back to the goals that, that I set because I'm like, you know, want to see how I'm doing with those oh, things or even goals that I don't keep where I can like look back at, oh, a year ago, I wanted to do this goal and I, I didn't follow through with it, but that now might be a better time to try and implement that. Yeah. Okay. That's um, interesting. And I actually started implementing a new form of journaling. Like I've experimented, I've done, like I do the sentence a day on and off. I do kind of gratitude journaling as well. Mm-hmm. But I kind of have started what I like to think of as structured, a structured journal. And so I took a journal and I put tabs throughout, like evenly spaced throughout. One tab is for quotes. One tab is for goals. One tab is for gratitude. I have a tab for like stuff I'm reading or want to read, like just listing the titles and and dates. It's kind of like a bullet journal, but with tabs. But less... It's like four or five journals in one, and each tab is like thematic, so that, you know, sometimes I sit down and I only want to write about a goal, but I feel, because it's a journal, I feel this pressure where I have to give all this context about what's going on in my life, and blah, blah, blah. But with this, I just open up the goal tab, write the date, mm-hmm. and like write down what I'm thinking in terms of goals or how it's going. Yeah. You know, same thing with quotes. Um, so that's been kind of helpful for me. Yeah, that feels really freeing. Yeah. What else, Sarah? What haven't we covered here? Well, I think it looks like we both have a couple of things. I know I creative cross-train for sure by listening to podcasts. Me too. Um, I would put like producing podcasts in the like, this is like my actual creative work. But the cross-training is like, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time on so many kinds of things. And I'm learning about structure. I'm learning about here's how they do their intro, like kinds of things I can apply to podcasting particularly. But I also listen to a lot of stuff that's for people in creative professions. Um, so not just writers, but just more generally uh, creative people. And I learned so much about like small business, small business things yeah. and uh, reaching your audience and just being a creative person in the world. And I, man, I love podcasting. You too. I also learn <laughs> a lot about storytelling through podcasts because I think I listen to fewer professional businessy podcasts than you do. I much more prefer storytelling podcasts, not fiction podcasts. There's a growing number of those. But more like um, true crime. Uh, yep. Again, no true crime for me. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. We we do have a different a different style of stuff, but it's the same the same kind of thing. Um. You know what? I had cooking on here, but I'm gonna say knitting. Actually, cooking five years ago or in graduate school, I would have said that cooking is a form of cross training. Now I just find cooking most of the time to be a big asshole, and I've actually like delegated a lot of it to my husband. <laughs> Um, that's awesome eating food that he cooks is a form of cross training he's he's lately been into 
getting me to like liver because it's healthy. Ooh, <laughs> can he come and make pate for me? Because it's so yummy. Uh, I don't want to think about liver right now. I have a lot of liver in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the listeners who are like, oh, gross, I did not want to hear that. <laughs> but knitting, that's nice that you have like the, the fine motor skill space space yeah. for that. Yeah. So, hey, listeners, we want to hear from you. What do you do to engage in creative cross-training and how does it help you? You can let us know in the comments on the blog post for this page or join us in the Writing on Wednesday's Facebook group. And now we've come to Tips and Tools, a segment about building better writing systems one small step at a time. This week, Sarah, you've got something to share with us. So what is it? Oh, and it it is short and sweet. Yay. It is about Instagram. And you know how Instagram has hashtags. And oftentimes you want to use a lot of hashtags. And I found out recently that you don't have to put all those hashtags in the main post. You can put them in the very first comment and they function the same way way. And I've done that a couple of times because I frequently will post to Instagram and also to Facebook at the same time, but I don't want all those hashtags on Facebook. So what I had been doing was going onto Facebook and then deleting all the hashtags immediately. But I realized, oh, I can post on Instagram, which also posts to Facebook, and then I can copy and paste uh, all those hashtags that that I wanted to use and then plop them right in the first comment. There you go. That's that's good to know. And a follow-up tip, um, I use Buffer for work to schedule our social media posts for the nonprofit I work for. And Buffer actually, I think, is one of the very few social media scheduling apps that allows you to schedule and like post to Instagram from within the Buffer app on your computer. Does that work for like personal Instagram or just for... It should, like, yeah. I mean, you, Buffer Instagram. isn't free, so um, that's another Ooh, issue. But one of the things that Buffer allows you to do now when you schedule an Instagram post is it, you can um, automatically like put in the first comment so it'll give you an option to like create the instagram post and then you can click write the first comment and put all the hashtags in the first comment so that when it posts to instagram it will then post all of the the hashtags in the comment wow that is cool okay so we've got some updates Sarah, tell us more about your book contract. So, so yeah. So, I just uh, signed a book contract in the past couple of weeks. And it is with Westminster John Knox, which is a Presbyterian publisher. And you've heard me mention on the show before, I work um, – the industry that I work in is in a church. I work as a minister of music. And the audience that I have is within that industry. So, a lot of times when – like we hear for writers, like you have to identify your audience. You have to identify your audience. And I'm like, I know exactly who my audience is. I work with these people and I know what their problems are. So I have like this huge like leg up because I'm like, yeah, I, I know this already. I took a long time figuring out which publishers to pitch to. I went through probably 150 different publishers mm. um, to find ones. I, I narrowed it down to about 12 different publishers. But I am so pumped to be with what Westminster John Knox. That was in my very top category of publishers. I'm thrilled by that. I only had to do one round of submissions and I'm just overjoyed by that. And you got an advance, which way to go. I did. Yeah. Which is kind of exciting. Not a ton of money, but you know, a little bit is nice. And, um, and I was actually very surprised. I didn't think that an advance would be normative in this, in this industry. Cause like, I, I think oftentimes when we're listening to 
writers talking about writing, we're oftentimes listening to journalists who work with um, like really big mass market kind of publishing, top five publishers. But by and large, most of us writing are writing to industry audiences that are significantly smaller and like, like super niche. We know who the audience is and it's a specific group of people. It's not like I'm going to write to all parents yeah. everywhere, that kind of thing. And I mean, I, I think an advance can be a lot of pressure for your first book because you have, you have the pressure that you need to make up the advance to, you know, just to have a good, keep a good rapport with the publisher. Actually, if I heard of a first time author getting a big advance, mm-hmm. I'd be really nervous for them. But in your case, like, the advance was like a nice bonus, but it's it's not big enough that I would feel a lot like you'll make it up mm. quite easily, I think. But it's kind of a, a nice yeah, yeah. a nice sign of trust from the publisher. Yeah, it does feel like a nice sign of trust. And I hadn't really thought about it at all as a like a pressure on me because I'm deeply invested in not just promoting this book, yeah. but how this book fits into my longer term career goals. And this is just one I'm not like oh, this book is going to make it for me or break it for me. It's like, no, this book is one stepping stone for me in my career, one of many. And I'm invested in it as such, but I'm also not a, yeah. I'm not worried about it. And, uh, you know, as if like this is the, you know, it's not like it's not like publishing yeah. fiction where if your first book doesn't go well, you know, oops, you're going to have a hard time getting a second contract. Well, that's great, Sarah. I'm excited for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm at this stage like update wise where it's like, okay, I don't have to think about revising a proposal and sending it off to another another set of publishers, I'm like, oh, time to actually write my book. Um, So I'm in that stage of like figuring out what are my next steps there? Because I had been kind of holding off in terms of like, am I going to need to do proposal revisions? Am I going to, you know, for another set of publishers to query? Or am I going to move ahead? But you know, I'm moving ahead now. So it's pretty exciting. And Cole, like, what do you have going on? I don't really have much going on. I'm I'm gearing up for launching my book. So, you know, that's just a whole endeavor. We'll talk about book promotion mm-hmm. a month or two down the line. Yeah. But um, that's where I'm at. So I, you know, I don't really have much of an update. Yeah. Well, I, which is just fine with me. I feel like I feel like that itself is an update, though, because when we're writing, we aren't always literally putting words on the page. Writing also includes book promotion. It also includes your book launch team and those kinds of things. And that's important, too. And that's it for this week's installment of Writing on Wednesdays. You can find show notes at writingonwednesdays.com. And my website is www.nicolerocus.com, where you can subscribe to my blog and newsletter to get more writing and coaching tips in your inbox. And I'm online at sarah-bariza.com, where I have a weekly author newsletter. Ratings and reviews on iTunes are important ways for people to find this podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please rate the show and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to connect with other writers like you, join our Facebook group by searching for Writing on Wednesdays. Until next Wednesday, happy writing. Happy writing.